This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. With me this week, two pretty cool people. Nick White. Hey. And Kate Lamphere. Hi. Thank you guys for joining me this week. Super excited to have you. Really excited to talk about comics. I'm a bit hungover, so I'm sorry in advance. My sister's in town, and we decided to stay up super late last night and drink. And it was mostly me just drinking and her just yelling and talking at me. So I'm sorry in advance. I'm just, I mean, it wasn't a bad experience if that's what it sounds like. It was just a lot. Like next thing I knew it was 3.30 in the morning and I had continuously been pouring myself drinks. So I'm sorry in advance if I seem a little out of it. But let's actually talk about comic books and not what's happening with me and my life and my family. (laughs) What have you guys, what did you guys read this week? How have you been? Let's start with you, Kate. I'm good. I I think I have that seasonal crud that happens to me every fall where it's not the flu and it's not a cold and it's not allergies, but it's definitely exhausting. Yes, I know this problem. Yeah. My feet hurt for some reason. My entire back hurts. (laughs) This sounds like old people problems. Yeah. This is is seasonal crud. (laughs) I've turned 30 and now I'm falling apart. Um, Yeah. In terms of comics, I finally sat down and read a graphic novel called The Rainbow in the Dark by Comfort Love and Adam Withers. This is a local to Grand Rapids comic book couple, and they work on their stuff together. They've got this book and then a book called The Uniques that I need to read yet that I'm really excited for, actually. They should be at the Grand Rapids Comic Con next week, so I'm hoping to pick up a a collected edition of that book. But anyway... As for Rainbow in the Dark, this is a really interesting comic. I've mentioned it before, and I've never finished it because it's really long <laughs> for mm-hmm. being a single book, and it's I, I didn't want it to end. Like it's, I think it's really good. So it's, basically, it starts off with a, a gray girl, like the entire world is shades of gray, and then suddenly she sees this um, group of, of people in a very brightly colored like hot rod car and everybody in it has like dyed hair and they're in color everything's very bright and she's the only person who notices them in this entire gray city and that's how it opens and that's basically how the book continues (laughs) like it's about basically kind of like these are the people that are that are excited about life they know who they are they're like lgbt maybe um or there's a mixed race couple at one point which is really nice to see um but it's about this girl finding herself and finding um like a reason to live basically like her life is very like cookie cutter before that and it's just kind of like about breaking the routine and um going against like what's expected of you to live for yourself and Mm -hmm. the colors it's it's an airbrush art style they did a little airbrushed and all the inks are really heavy and so it's a little bit different than what i'm used to seeing in modern comics but it really works for me and i really like this idea that this couple um the creators work together for everything like the back matter um there's quite a bit of back matter and it talked about their process and about their character design everything how all the characters are based on like 80s like punk rock stuff and that was really cool Um, But these creators, they write together, they kind of split the art up, like one will do the backgrounds for like the color scenes, and then the other one will do the backgrounds for the gray scenes, and then they switch off who who draws what character at at what point, and so it really worked for me. So if you can find this, it might 
be on Comixology Submit. I forgot to check, but if you can find it, I would check it out. That sounds awesome. The back matter of the book is just their impending divorce from having to work with each other for oh. so long. <laughs> oh, Nick. <laughs> I don't know if they're married. I mean, oh, they well, work I together mean, then great. I guess you can't get divorced, so. so. Yeah. <laughs> Joke's on me. Nick, what about you? How have you been? How have comic books been? Uh, been pretty been good. We're at that point in the year where just the leaves keep falling and they won't stop falling. Uh, and I guess maybe if I thought about that more, I could continue that into a full um, Smash Mouth cover song about autumn in Michigan. But I, I didn't. genuinely thought that's what you were going to do. I oh. really want it. I didn't, you know, I was going to riff, but I was like, I know how much Mike loves it when I riff. But uh, just sorry, guys. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> no it's like you know you walk out and you rake the leaves and then you walk out five hours later and it's like oh well it looks like nothing happened and you look up at the tree and it's like it looks like nothing fell um but <laughs> there's something tree have infinite leaves yeah infinite leaves uh, but you know there's something meditative about it until some jag off neighbor pulls out the leaf blower and it's like that is not how we do things in the old country get a rake <laughs> get a rake so things have been going good is what you're saying it's it's good it's good uh you know it's a great time to get out there and listen to a podcast and and you know you know look at look upon the ground and your spoils when you're done and be like i did that and i'm also (laughs) going to have to do that tomorrow and probably the day after um in terms of what i read uh, i also read a book that was done by um not only a couple, but I think technically it's a husband and wife and also the guy's brother. Uh, I read Dick Tracy, Dead or Alive, number one. It's written by Lee and Michael Allred. Mike, they're brothers, right? I, yes, they're brothers. Think, yeah. Yes. Um, it's penciled by Rich Tommaso. It's inked by Michael Allred. Interesting. Tommaso doesn't do his own inks on this book. I found that very weird. Uh, and it's colored by Laura Allred. Mm-hmm. That seems like a standard combo. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like you usually see this this uh, trio together on books. It's pretty common. Um, it's just another example for me of my anachronistic media consumption. You know, I read the Aliens <laughs> comics before I saw the films. I read the Rocketeer comics without ever seeing the film. Yes, I do know the OGN came first. Hardcore fans, I'm aware of that, and I I did read that. Um, you know so and here here's me again like i haven't seen the dick tracy film i've seen a couple of the little i think that's okay though i think that's totally okay i've seen a few like newsprint clippings and like beyond that like here's what i know about dick tracy he has a yellow trench coat and a yellow fedodo um i know he hangs out with a kid that looks like he wandered off the set of newsies uh and ended up with a walk-on role and I know that my mom got me his wrist walkie-talkies from Goodwill, um, and they worked uh, in as much as one's imagination would permit them to work. Uh, um, honestly, this book's a lot of fun, and it feels like someone took the real-life exploits of Elliot Ness, you know, from The Untouchables, and from the book uh, Torso that you and I read, um, yeah. and basically it turned him up to 11 or 12. <laughs> um <laughs> He's got, like, that judge dread adherence to the law um, that sort of ultimately leaves you unsure if you're actually supposed to be rooting for him or not. Um, 
Um, it's also like Batman, the animated series. It's got sort of a weird anachronistic universe, like his outfit, his gun, the cars, his speech. It all seems like it's the thirties. Um, but the first criminal they encounter is actually a software developer and the big baddie uses a burner phone. So it's like Batman, like I said, the animated series, it's got this odd sort of like, when is this supposed to take place exactly sort of thing? And I, you know, it's, it's, it's a tough tightrope to walk because it's that sort of question of how do we modernize Dick Tracy, but how do we modernize him without erasing anything that actually makes Dick Tracy, Dick Tracy. Yeah. So it, just, just a lot of fun. Like Dread, it's also sort of like equal parts gallows humor, one-liners and heart over hand, hand over heart monologues. At one point he goes, call me old fashioned, call me a chump, call me a mug. I'm a cop because I believe in law and order. I believe in the rule of law because without law, all you have is the law of the jungle. And I've seen what a jungle it is out there, Sam. I've seen it. Um, <laughs> so you have moments like this what? and it's like, <laughs> how do you not love this book um uh-huh. and then it's like dark shit where like they go to execute this guy and the the guy flipping the switch is like big boy finally brought to justice never thought i'd live to see the day and then dick tracy deadpans <laughs> he won't you know cue air horns um <laughs> honestly if you just want to have a great laugh and have a lot of fun and have a very weirdly expedited sense of the american judicial system (laughs) go read this book because if you didn't believe that they could put someone on death row and and pull the you know and put them in the electric chair in the same day it happens in this book um (laughs) but that's like that's like old-timey newspaper style justice where like oh dude it totally is cartoon because like you you see the action and then you see the like fallout of it you know well Um, it's it seems like total bullshit and then like this guy explains he's like well it turns out the big baddie uh you find out uh he actually killed someone in the past he broke out mm -hmm. of jail after running out of all of his options for coming up for parole and getting it denied and so that's how dick tracy excuses the fact that immediately he takes him in and he's like we're gonna put him in the electric chair tonight and kill him and it's like this book is (laughs) fucking insane (laughs) That's um, wild. Uh, honestly, if you want a good laugh, if you want to have a lot of fun, if you want a beautiful looking book, honestly, this is the best Tommaso work I've seen. It feels like this is the natural fit on a book that we've been waiting for with him. And Allred's inks sort of give a sort of strength and attitude and thickness to Tommaso's work that I think otherwise has been kind of wavy and, and weak in some ways. So yeah, I was just looking at the preview on IDW's website and it's it feels like the kind of color you would expect on a book that Mike Allred and Laura Allred was coloring, I should say. Yeah. Um but with Tommaso's art style, it's really weird because when like I expect him to do like surreal weird stuff, but with like Allred's I should say Mike Allred's uh inks it feels like a like a like a poppy color or poppy book like you would expect like his madman book or or even the doctor not doctor who the silver surfer book that he did like yeah. it feels like very thick broad lines that give it an old cartoon style it reminds me a lot of his book art ops honestly for yeah, vertigo yeah yeah 
the other book I brief I'll, I'll briefly get into here is I read TMNT Turtles in Time. Mm-hmm. Uh, a few days ago, I rolled out the roadmap to reading Ninja Turtles, which is literally a fucking map. Uh, it's full of detours and confusing things. Uh, <laughs> and I found out that I didn't read Turtles in Time two volumes back when I was supposed to. So, I mean, oh. bad, bad me. Even though it really doesn't matter, this book is largely standalone. Uh, and I've talked about in the past how much I love when books, when series, when miniseries use multiple artists, and, and they do it in a way that um, only betters the book, that only uh, makes it a richer experience, and and not something where it feels like it's fill-in art, where it feels like it's a replacement that's done out of convenience. And this book is written by Paul Allure. He wrote parts one and four, and Eric Burnham, who wrote parts two and three. If that sounds very weird, it does to me too. Um, and the art was done by Sophie Campbell, Charles Paul Wilson, the, the, Charles Paul Wilson the third, Ben Bates, and Dan Duncan. Colors by Bill Crabtree, Jeremy Moeller, Ben Bates, and Rhonda Patterson, respectively. Uh, and so each issue is a different era in time. Uh, it's prehistoric, then it's samurai, then it's pirates, and then it's the future, which is interesting because it does somewhat <laughs> mirror um, some of the actual levels in the Turtles in Time video game, uh, outside of the samurai one, which actually just simply mirrors the Ninja Turtles movie with the Number same... Number three. Yeah. Heck yeah. Exactly. So it's really interesting to see these different art styles, the plot, who who cares? They're just jumping through time. It has to do with this weird character called Renee the Timestress who first appeared back in Kevin Eastman's run and she just ends up trying to, you know, extract them from these different eras but only ends up putting them in a different one. Uh, I love the different art styles. Sophie Campbell brings a very rounded, even even kind of um uh, just colorful and cartoonish style to the prehistoric one. Uh, and, and Charles Paul Wilson kind of has this Japanese woodblock style, really heavy inks for the samurai one. Uh, it's a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. I could go into this forever, but I won't. All I will say is that, uh, one, they meet a little pink triceratops called which Raphael names Pepperoni in the prehistoric one. And mm-hmm. gives him a little headband like the turtles have. Uh, it's the cutest <laughs> thing I've seen this week. I'm going to say in advance that will probably be the cutest thing I see this month. Um, this character <laughs> better appear again because it's my favorite. Um, That's great. And secondly, totally tip of the hat to Eric Burnham with the feudal Japan one because they end up uh, finding themselves and it turns into this oddly strangely dark issue about like uh, you know Donatello's like well we can't fuck with the time space continuum you know he's basically Doc Brown uh, and Michelangelo yeah. goes we gotta help our dad and you know he they help their dad in this fight and then their dad takes them to where they live and so they end up hanging out with the younger human versions of themselves um, okay. which like can you get any more, like, let's fuck with the time-space continuum than that? Uh, and then it turns really grim and dark when they realize that, like, they have the opportunity to maybe save the kids from being killed by Shredder, but then they have to decide whether or not to let time unfold as it should. And it gets very existential and weird. Uh, strangely so for, dark. And then Leo yeah, tries the to kill Shredder before he becomes Shredder. So... Uh, 
lot of fun with this book, actually. The the pirate thing was probably the biggest clunker. The future issue actually had the original team that did the IDW TMNT reboot when it started mm-hmm. in 2012, and I really loved seeing the, the two of them back together. Um, Dan Duncan and Rhonda Patterson. Uh, just a lot of fun. Even if you're not really into TMNT, even if you're not at all well-versed in the current universe and what's going on, you can read this and enjoy it, and, and each issue is just something totally, totally different. Yeah. Sounds like it. I mean, this, uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle stuff super interests me, but we've we've gone on too long, so I won't comment it any further. Um, I read a bunch of books. I like sat down on Tuesday or Wednesday, and uh <laughs> i read some books and boy oh boy a lot of clunkers recently and i don't know what it is i i think i asked before the show i was like are comic books bad i think i'm just <laughs> in a, i'm just in like a bad swing of things um i read multiple man number five this is matthew rosenberg and andy mcdonald over in marvel this is the series that kind of brought jamie madrix aka multiple man back to life even though he died but he can't duplicate anymore so he went to beast to go figure it out and it's very like this is a serious book except for the part where there's just random like very light humor happening left and right so since issue one i've kind of been like uncertain about this series Mm -hmm. but i kept reading it because i like trusted matthew rosenberg he's a pretty great writer in in some of the books that i read before by him so i don't know ultimately this issue ended and i was like oh, I guess this is a prequel to the, what's going to happen at the end of Extermination or what Uncanny X-Men, the new re- relaunch series, is going to be about. I, I honestly don't know. The majority of this book was really hard to follow. The logic that of things seemed really all over the place, or I wasn't following it close enough. I think I need to reread the entire series, but it's weird because I feel like this is the second time I've read a book by Matt Rosenberg over at Marvel, and I was kind of just like, oh, this is just a filler comic. It doesn't actually matter. Because they could have done this entire story in like a like a serious like two page ex- explanation in any other book, but instead it was a five issue series. This is just like the Jean Grey Phoenix Resurrection stuff. I feel like that whole series was super un- unnecessary, which is why I didn't buy it. <laughs> and I, if I would have known that about this multiple man book, I wouldn't have bought it. But my heart has a heavy spot for Jamie Madrix after Peter David's run on X Factor. So I don't know. This book was so all over the place that I felt like issue four and five were almost impossible to follow. Um, it's just unfortunate because I really thought that this was a cool idea. Like, how do we fix Jamie Madrix? But the tone and some of the just storytelling was off in a lot, in like a handful of places. It, and I say handful, I mean a lot of places. I feel like this series was just strangely executed, and I would I, maybe I need to reread it. But I just wasn't a big fan of how it ended or the series on the whole which is a super bummer. It is always um, interesting to see how um, when when independent writers and artists, you know, come to the big two, how sometimes things work and sometimes, you know, things don't. And I mean... Yeah, it's, it's, it's weird because, like, I think he's doing a pretty solid job on Astonishing X-Men, but it's just this book just felt like a weird... It just felt weird. I don't hmm. know. Wasn't a big fan of it. Um, I also read Modern Fantasy number four. This is the last issue in this little mini series from Dark Horse. Uh, this is by Rafer Roberts with art by Kristen Goodsnook. Uh, this is a book that Kate uh, Scotchless actually turned me on to, and I don't know if she's kept up with it, but uh, she described it to me on an issue a while back, and I've been reading it every month, and I fucking love it. It's such a cu- cute, quaint little book about 
What if you lived in a world where there was orcs and goblins and wizards and sorcerers and and druids and like you also had to work a day job? <laughs> like you also, you know, you are an elf of a lineage back when there was a war 150 years ago where wizards fought orcs and there was a great demon from hell. And now we fast forward and we've got cell phones and weed and TV and we just kick it and live our lives trying to make rent. Um, but all of that stuff still exists. Magic still exists. Um, so this is the final issue of this book wraps up with the big escalation to the thing that they've been building since issue one. And there's a big fight and everyone gets to kind of be a superhero for a second. And it's really, really nice. It's really well done. There's a, like throughout this whole book, there's just been a lot of little jokes and a lot of little things that just made it really, really fun. And it feels like a really cool cartoon that's kind of aimed a bit more at adults, but it's done in like a four issue miniseries. Um, I really, I really dig it. What I, and publisher I, is this? This is from Dark Horse. Okay, so, so maybe I, a trade someday. Oh yeah, there definitely will be a trade. I think Probably it's super trade. worth it. Probably overpriced. <laughs> sure, sure. But I mean, you can get, get all the single sale. issues. You can get it all the single issues from you know Comicsology. I think they're like two bucks each after a month or so. Um, yeah, I highly recommend this book if you're just looking for a four issue, just fun little romp into a fantasy world that's mixed with a, a real world. Yeah, I don't know. The last issue tickled me in a lot of different ways. I was posting some screen caps on Twitter. So if you want like a hint at some of the jokes, go check out that on Twitter. Um, anyways, let's uh, let's talk about what we're excited for this upcoming week. Comic books are being released on November 7th, 2018. Let's start with you, Nick. Get it out of the way. <laughs> sure. That's <laughs> Thanks for that lead-in. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> here's Nick White. I hope he wraps up real soon, God willing. Um so I don't know what the heck is going on, but honestly, I literally had not a single book coming out this week. Uh, so wow. I didn't pick anything. Just kidding. You could only be so lucky. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I went through the solicits uh, and I saw that James Bond 007 number one is coming out. Uh, and this is kind of interesting because we've had more than a couple miniseries and one shots in the Bond franchise since Warren Ellis and Jason Masters rebooted the comic line back in 2015. Um, yet with this new title, Dynamite's launching a quote-unquote epic new ongoing, they used epic, I just want to die, um, an epic new ongoing series, which seems to suggest that we're actually going to have a break from the old model, um, which is kind of exciting. Uh, thankfully, like with Greg Pak, we've got someone who's already writing a book for um, with a character for Dynamite who basically gets dressed in his Sunday best and then steps out and murders people, aka John Wick. <laughs> so yeah. more or less, uh, they said, "Hey, do you do you want to basically write the same book again, and we'll give you more money?" And but this time he's British. But this time he's British, uh, and it's going to be a tux largely. Uh, so that works out. Um, in terms of like what it's going to be about, uh, editor Nate Cosby said, quote, this is an ongoing Bond story, but it also stars someone else, a mystery man who won't get out of Bond's way on a global scale. There are sometimes foes, sometimes allies. Bond and this charming deadly man are constantly chasing after the same dangerous things for different reasons. His like, name is James John. It's <laughs> like, just make them kiss already at this rate, you know? It's like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> this is the lead-in. Uh, look, I've seen the covers. It's odd job. Okay. Like, oh, okay. 
It's, I don't know who that is. I don't know enough Aja? about the James Bond series. Like, no. Okay, like, I know next to nothing either. All I know, like, he's the guy that everyone wants to be in Goldeneye because he's really small and he's hard to hit, and he throws that hat that has, like, a razor blade in it and whatever. Okay. Sure. Even Okay. <laughs> I mean, all right. Uh, don't worry. Everyone else listening, it's not, you know, it's just Mike. Mike has no idea. The rest of you all obviously know about Odd Job. All of you sure, played yeah. GoldenEye 64 and probably led a normal life. So um, Yeah, reach out to us and let us know all, everything you know about James Bond so I can prove Nick wrong. Share. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, honestly, the only thing that worries me about this book is that it's an ongoing. I think what mm-hmm. sort of kept a sense of quality control with past Bond universe was that the miniseries approach was like, if we don't have a book to make, we don't have a book to make. And Dynamite has a kind of bad track record for after introductory arcs are done, struggling to pull in artists of similar quality. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really excited that this book is starting with Mark Lamming, or Laming. Why not? Let's just let's mispronounce another name. Uh, he's a British artist. He drew King's Quest for Dynamite. He drew the Beckett one shot for Marvel. Ooh. Uh, Ooh, he that's also- good stuff. Yeah, he also drew Star Wars Annual number four. Uh, he had a story in it, so I love this guy. I love his inks. Uh, I, I'm excited for this book, uh, at least the first arc. Uh, what about you, Kate? I am excited for Wicked and the Divine, the funnies, number one. Um, I don't know what a funny book in the Wicked and the Divine series could possibly be like. This is not right. a funny series. <laughs> Um, but this book has a lot of creators on it. Kieran Gillen, Erica Henderson, Chip Zdarsky, Kate Leth, Lur- Larissa Zagaris, and Kitty Kieran. So from the description, it seems like it's an anthology of smaller stories. And then the cover has a dog on it. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure that it, it's going to include a story that is the gods as dogs. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so... I don't know what the other stories are going to be like, but I'm excited for the dog one. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I was also, I, I picked this because I don't know how to read my notes. Like I said, I'm a little hungover. <laughs> leave me alone. Um, I picked this and I was like, huh, what is this even possibly going to be about? Yeah. I'm very scared. <laughs> I honestly am worried that it's going to be a bait and switch. There's going to be one just terrible, awful story in here that's going to crush us. They're going to build us up with all this happy, fun time, cartoonish stuff. And then like the last the last like three pages are going to be like, all of your favorite characters are now dead forever. And I hope you die as well. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I bet you thought this issue wasn't going to influence canon. Sucks to be you. I know. Well, that's... Well, the, so, the okay, canon so is that they only live for two years. So if they're all dogs, the dogs um, only wait. live for two years. <laughs> Hold on, wait a second. <laughs> well, technically they live for 14, but... Maybe this yeah, well, one okay. time they lived for 14. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> hope. <laughs> and the dogs lived happily ever after. Oh, no. Oh, that's that's scary. There's <laughs> probably a story in it called All Dogs Go to Heaven or something like that. Oh, yeah. I mean, the cover for this also has like a terrible pun on it that Kieran Gillen wrote on Twitter, which is the problem with Medusa is that she objectifies people. Uh, <laughs> that's stone cold. <laughs> and it's, and it's you know, like everyone looking furious. So, you know, check out that cover. It's pretty fun. <laughs> I like that you're getting an issue like this with an image series because this feels like the goofy sort of shit that you find over at the big two when they're like well i think we've told pretty much every single story we can tell and we've killed all the robins what do we have left to do um (laughs) (laughs) there's none left uh um 
but I, I feel like you don't get this sort of like goofy side attraction over at like image or whatever, where it's all serious business, so to speak. Well, it de- I mean, it depends. I think that, you know, the true revival book that we talked That's about, exactly what I was thinking you know, about, the, yeah. like what a goofy idea to put those two together. And yet it happened. And I think it sold well. So it happens on the real big popular books, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, Kate, this is a good pick. I'm excited for it as well. I hope that it's that it's not a doom and gloom book, but it probably will be. There there will be some sort of like stabbing in the back and twisting of the knife. You, there always is in these in these one-offs. What are you excited for? For me this week, I am excited for a book called Outer Darkness number 1. Yes, this is yes, John yes. Lehman and Afu Chan. And I don't really know anything about this book. I just realized I couldn't pick The Wicked and Divine. And I wasn't going to throw an X-Men book on here this week because, <laughs> quite honestly, I'm not happy with a lot of the X-Men books right now. And I don't want to talk about it. Ooh, so I like this I, pouting. <laughs> I picked Outer Darkness number one. Uh, I'll just read you the synopsis uh, from previews. The story described as a sci-fi horror involves Captain Joshua Rigg of the starship Charon. In a future where human have excuse me in a future where, where humans have colonized the galaxy however mysteries and horror wait as the Charon encounter demonic possessions hauntings and cosmic horror as they embark on a desperate rescue mission into outer darkness of space where everything wants to kill them this sounds like um real exciting happy-go-lucky book i'm sure <laughs> uh, I mean, honestly, this sounds it sounds pretty pretty dark and, and fucked up. So let's see what John excuse me let's see what John Layman can do, and Afu Chan's art is unparalleled. So I'm willing to pick up that book on that alone. Um, who knows if I'm going to keep up with it? But I'm definitely willing to try it. John Layman is pretty solid writer in my book. He will always he will always get a chance because he wrote Chew. Um, it sounds like he's basically taking Chew to space, which which is fine. That's fine. It could it totally uh. could be that that could be really funny. However, reading Farmhand, which was going to be my pick this week, because I but I've picked it too many times. Um, Farmhand <laughs> is coming out this week, and I real come to realize that a lot of the goofier shit that happened in Chew definitely came from Rob Gilroy, mm. and maybe not John Layman, because honestly, Farmhand feels the exact same way that Chew did oh, in a totally. lot of ways. There's like a lot of really goofy jokes happening in the background of some dark shit that's happening in the foreground. So I don't know. But I'm willing to trust, or at least try, John Lehman's new books. He's he's a pretty solid writer regardless. So, that's me. For our show this week, we're talking about our favorite non-human characters. You may be asking yourself, Mike... But isn't Martian Manhunter not a human? He's my favorite. And I would look at you and I'd say, you fool. We're talking about non-humanoids. And then you'd say, Mike, why didn't you just say that in the first place? And I was like, you know what? Don't get smart with me. This is my podcast. So this week we're talking about that. <laughs> no, this week we, we were talking about non-human characters in comics. And we're trying to focus a little bit more on the animals and the like creatures of comic books, what we like about them, what makes them a fun part of the story, not just necessarily set dressing, but when they actually maybe play a role in the story beyond just kind of being there. So I think between myself, Kate, and Nick, we came up with a ton of different things to talk about. So let's go into it. What are, what are some of your favorites, Nick or Kate, whoever wants to jump in? 
Well, I just finished The Runaways number 14, and there was a short story that focused on Old Lace in the back of oh, it. Oh, yes. And yes. Old Lace has been one of my favorite non-human characters in comics since I started reading comics, mm-hmm. partially because I pretty much started reading comics with Runaways. But Old Lace has just always been there. Um, she always backs up... Um, Oh, boy. I forgot what our human's name is. Gert. Oh, no. Gert. Thank you. Wow. (sighs) Almost had a heart attack. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, this story was really cute. It focused on what her like what she understands of what people are saying around her. For the most part, dialogue was just in this, like, kind of, like, I don't know. It wasn't English. It wasn't readable, except that certain things would stand out, like Chase's name, her name, um, good girl, bad girl, things like that. And it was just, it was really sweet, and it kind of showed, you know, kind of her place and everybody, everybody's different story, mm-hmm. and that she's she's not just set dressing, like you said. She's supportive, um, you know. She, she has certain friends, certain people that she likes and dislikes. It was really nice little bit from her her perspective so she's probably my yeah. fa- my very favorite and yeah that that little that little side story at the end of that book was it was really cool because it fed into the extra like the a little bit more of the narrative that we saw in the issue and so um i i don't want to fully spoil what happened but you know we saw a moment with molly where lace was she was taking like a very protective stance around Molly. Mm-hmm. You know, eventually she saw Victor and Gert talking to each other and she got jealous and like yeah. it is a really, really cool like insider look into that character's head. Because for the most part, she's treated like a dog. Um, mm-hmm. And not to say that she isn't doesn't necessarily fit that role because she does. She's not like this hyper intelligent being. But um to actually be able to see like her reactions and why she does just sometimes show up places and why she does sometimes react the way that she does is really cool. Uh, I'm glad that they threw that in there because honestly, if they did that at the end of every issue, I'd be happy. <laughs> yeah, and I'm glad that they they did it they did it now because I mean, Runaways has been pretty much a nice visit with these characters that we already know and just an expansion of their stories, but it's mm-hmm. gotten really dramatic in the last couple of issues. So yeah. just. Yeah. Right now, we just needed to show our story about old lace, and we got it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely. Um, did, did they rope the dinosaur into the show? Is that something they actually tried to yeah. incorporate? Yeah, she's in the show. Oh, good God. Is she like, like what, CG? CG or what? Uh, must be, yeah. Okay. Okay, I haven't seen it at all, so even though I've been told it's pretty good. Yeah. Now I'm but. doubting everything. I'm, I'm <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. That's all right. Uh, well, while Kate has an existential crisis, Nick, what's your uh, what are what are what are your, some of your favorites when you think of non-human characters? I know we've got a bunch of them between all of us, but let's go yeah. back and forth here. Um, probably one of them would have to be um, Shinhara, Shinhara, uh, the mm-hmm. uh, Exo Man of War's armor, which is sentient, mm-hmm. uh, and it's basically imagine that an iron one of iron man's suits uh was basically run by hal 9000 because that's exactly (laughs) what shanara is um it's this super intelligent sentient armor that's effectively living um but it needs a obviously it needs well actually it doesn't need a host i think there are multiple times where the armor has 
I think it's limited in what it can do without a host, but it can do some things without a host. But the tricky thing with all of these armors, um, which is what really brings about the whole arc of the the armor hunters in Valiant, is that uh, the armor bestows a whole bunch of powers, uh, you know, energy beams, healing factor, flight, blah, 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 you know. Mm -hmm. But uh, when you get hurt and you're wearing the armor, it actually, it will heal you, but it heals you by replacing the damaged parts of you with, like, the suit. And so, eventually, if it heals you enough, you basically become the living suit, and it takes over, and more or less, you just become an unwitting participant in whatever the whims of the suit are which is eventually how a bunch of these sentient suits go around destroying planets, blah, blah, blah. You get the whole idea. So what's been really interesting with Matt Kint's run for maybe the past two years on EXO is that it's been all about uh, Eric of Dacia uh, knowing that he needs to basically steer clear of the suit knowing that, you know, he knows it's bad news bears now because he's figured out how it works and what it's trying to do. Uh, but, of course, he keeps getting into, you know, close scrapes and whatnot where it's like, well, do I need the suit? Do I not need the suit? You know, if I put on the suit, what's going to happen? Um, and, of course, the whole the whole time, you know, the suit's very passively, aggressively, you know, taunting him and being like, well, you know, I've got some ideas. I might be able to contribute. <laughs> Might be I, I able recall. to get you out of this scrape. Um, just saying. Uh, but so it's it's a lot of fun. I, I really like uh, that character. I think it's a really interesting concept. I'm sure Iron Man has already done something comparable at some point. Sure. But uh, I I I find uh, Shanhara, which is they I think they technically call it like an alien organism to be exact, to be mm-hmm. really really interesting. Yeah, that concept has always been really like something that I've wanted to read more of, which is why I picked up that latest EXO run for a, bi- a while. I- I've been picking it up in like like batches, so I'll read like a half an arc or an arc, and then I'll pick up the next arc when it when it's all out. But yeah, that's that's been a really fun like back and forth between Eric and and the and the armor, just like him being like, I know that if I use this armor, I could be fine, but I know what it's actually taking away from me because he's already at a point where this thing is already very much ingrained in him. And he's yeah. it's, it's the worry that he will just lose his own like sentience if he gives in too much to this. Um, I, I think that's a great idea. Like you have all this power, but at what cost? Um, that's so fantastic. Yeah, no, it's a uh, it's it's sort of got a really interesting risk reward concept going on, and of course there are all sorts of other complexities because I think at one point we find out that. Um, yeah, that's right. He abandons the suit because I think Livewire tells him basically what it's doing to him. And seemingly, Livewire is the only person who can wear the suit without being corrupted by it because of her powers. But man, she's so cool. Oh, man. Livewire is so fucking cool. <laughs> you know, just casual plug here. Livewire coming out in a month, month and a half by Vita Ayala and my favorite, probably my favorite. Um, art duo of Raul Allen and Patricia Martin. So, uh, 
yeah LiveWire is fucking awesome i realize that's not where this started but <laughs> yeah i know that's okay that's where all comic book conversations seems to seem to end these days so <laughs> With, when it comes to you yes i totally Man, yes LiveWire is so cool nick <laughs> we're not even talking about comics right it's 3 a.m right. yeah um, don't ever direct message me again <laughs> Um, well, I mean, I'm surprised that we didn't start with everyone's favorite pet and animal in comic books right now, which is Lion Cat. Like, yeah. Come on. Yeah. Uh, what are the, so one of the funniest, coolest concepts in comics in a while. And uh, I really Too like mainstream. the idea of, I mean, if you, and if you don't know who Lion Cat <laughs> is, like, let me, let me break it down for you. But I mean, this is a cat that is a companion of this character named the Will in Saga, and this cat basically is an is a known entity to other people in the universe. But to us as readers, it's a new thing because the idea is that this cat is in the room, and if you say something where you lie, the cat knows and it says lying. It's, it's a polygraph its detector with claws. Yeah, but it's supposedly a, it you can't fool it. It it knows when you're lying. It knows when you're not. So it um, also knows it, when you're asleep. Uh, it knows yeah, when yeah, you've been I, bad or good. <laughs> Sorry, it's probably this true, cat though. is it's also, also effectively Santa Claus. Effectively Santa Claus. Yeah, um, and its gift is not killing you. Uh, the the interesting part about this is like they. Brian K. Vaughn in Saga has used that cat to tell some very intense pieces of story, and he's also used it to tell some very, um, like, compassionate stories about, you know, someone who's lying to themselves. And, like, at one point, there's there's a little girl in the book, and, you know, she's, oh, I'm not scared of this. I'm, you know, I'm not worried about myself. And the cat looks at her, and it's just the two of them in the room, and it says lying to her. It's like, you need to admit this to yourself. You need to not lie out loud um, and say, yes, you are scared. Yes, you are worried about something. And I think with the idea of just being able to tell whether or not someone's lying, it's such an interesting concept, and it can be used in a lot of really clever ways. Yeah. And I think Brian yeah. K. Vaughn has nailed it in Saga. Um, it's also a beautiful with, creature design. Yeah. Gigantic cat, long it's limbs. A gigantic cat. It looks like yeah. a. it's a hairless cat, too. So it's like... Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's got that kind of weird, almost evil look to it, but it's Mr. It's Bigglesworth. Yeah, Mr. B- Mr. Bigglesworth. That's a perfect example. Um, <laughs> I was gonna go on a tangent about Austin Powers, but I won't. So uh, <laughs> I'm not gonna stop you. The the <laughs> I know. Uh, I mean, they the just announced they're br- making a fourth. It sounds like. Oh, I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to do that. This is an Austin Powers podcast. <laughs> uh, what's up, uh, everybody? I hope you're feeling groovy. Yeah, uh, where's my mojo? It's right here. Where's Michael Caine um, and Beyonce? Remember when Beyonce was in an Austin Powers movie? I recall. Does everyone remember that? I want everyone to take five seconds to remember Beyonce being in an Austin Powers movie. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that wasn't that weird, everyone. And now let's anyway, come back to we can come back to the conversation. Yeah. yeah. So I was um I was also thinking about Goose from uh, Saga as well, but I he kind of re- lives on the spectrum of humanoid character, right? I think the the it's weird because like something like Shannara, um, that thing has sentience, but I wouldn't say that it's a human. It's a non-human, right? Oh yeah, Goose sure. is like a little. He's a little seal person, but he's still like a person. Like I would still consider him a person, um, even though he is not necessarily a human. Um, which is where that fine line of are they considered human? Are they not? Like is Martian Manhunter? Would you call them a person? Yes. Versus are we human? 
Are we dancer? There's a lot of yeah. questions <laughs> to be fielded today. I um, think Goose is a dancer, personally. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, are I we haven't human? Are we Tony Danza? Um, th- so that's like the the other thing. Goose, I was going to say, but I guess that's kind of cheating. Um, yeah, I don't know. You guys have a bunch of other things. I have like six items. You guys had like 20. So tell me something else. So there's a book called Eleanor and Egret from John Lehman and Sam Keith. And it's about a woman named Eleanor who starts as a thief and then her maybe pet bird um mm-hmm. which is an egret and as you read this this mini series you discover that the egret eats art like paintings what is, what is an egret it's a water bird um it's got a long beak and really long legs um kind of like a heron Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I've seen these before at a zoo or on the internet, probably. <laughs> or on the cover of this comic, maybe. Or on the cover of this comic. <laughs> uh, but as this bird eats art, like it forms around it. So there is a panel in the first issue where its body is literally like a square because it just ate a painting. But its size changes. So the first time that you see the egret, it's on a giant large-brimmed hat that Eleanor is wearing. And so it's Mm -hmm. like undercover. She's just like walking around in this nice hat that has some feathers on it. But the feathers are the bird. And then later, this bird eats a whole bunch of stuff. And then it gets really big. um, And then it carries Eleanor around like flying. And... So it's just this very dynamic character who is a very central part of the actions that happen in the story. And you see the egret more than you see any other animal character in this book, but all of the good guys have animal companions. So I'm really curious as to if like her friend's cat is meant to also be like kind of magical. So... I really like this book. <laughs> so it's basically Plastic Man. If Plastic Man had to survive on downing still life paintings. Um, <laughs> no one told me this book was that fucking insane. I Plastic never Man or Eleanor and Egret? I, Eleanor and the Egret. I, yeah, book, I, I never read any of the, the summaries or solicits that were like, by the way, this book is nuts. Um, yeah, I've never heard of this book. I before. heard it was a uh, an art heist with an old lady and, and her bird friend, and that yeah. was yeah. No, geez. that's uh, I mean, that's eating a good the com- eating the actual art is kind of a heist, right? Like that's a whole yeah. effort in itself. The end of it is super good. Like I had no idea what was going to happen. Like I didn't know what the like I knew that the story was about Eleanor and her doing this heist and meeting these new people and everything but it's not until like this the third out of four i think issues where you start seeing what her bigger story is and where the plot is going but it it wraps up really good i think see folks sometimes you should take a chance on that weird aftershock book that looks interesting (laughs) that's awesome i i legitimately never heard of this book that sounds cool Plus, I love the idea of trying to watch a bird swallow a painting. So, yeah. sign me up. <laughs> yeah, the art um, overall in this book, like the art, like some of the faces of the humans in it, took a little bit, t- took a little getting used to. It's kind of like sketchbooky. Yeah. Sam mm-hmm. Keith is pretty weird. Yeah, I think he's best known for the Max, right, Mike? The Max. I the don't Max. I've actually read that. The Max. M A X X. Yeah, I don't think I read that. Really? Okay. All right. Yeah, don't shame me, Nick. That's all right. Uh, <laughs> um so the other thing i was thinking about um for some reason i couldn't think of the name of the the item but there is a sentient sword in this series called god country 
And mm. man, if you haven't read that book, you really ought to get on it because it's Donny Cates and Jeff Shaw, and them working together is what comic books is all about. Because it's fun, it's action packed, it's beautiful, um, it's really well told, heartfelt stories. If you haven't seen their other books before, they did. They also did a series called um, The Paybacks, which was kind of a sister series to their first debut series at Dark Horse called Buzz, or, or excuse me, Buzz Kill. And man, oh man, when those guys work together, it's fantastic. But in God Country, there is a sentient sword that chooses this old man to give him power to help him come back to life. But he can't ever let go of the sword. Otherwise, he'll go back to being the frail, like, dementia-ridden person that he was. But he also has to complete this quest of killing gods. It's so cool. Such a cool idea. Um, But the sword is, like, very... It's a very hard-ass type character <laughs> and i really enjoyed it Thor. <laughs> no and it, it's very it kind of is like that but they they took it to a like at the nth degree um i think they did this in thor as well where like thor couldn't let go of his hammer or else he would die or something it was, it was uh jane foster jane foster yeah that's the yeah it's that kind of same thing um but donny gates they took it in this really interesting direction talking about how you know this sword was the weapon that creates war it also helps create peace it also you know is the inspiration of every piece of fine art it's like they go way huge monster world picture and i really enjoyed it and the way that that character is written is like very hard ass and i love that about it so like beginning to end you've got this sword that's just like no fuck you man no fuck you man this is what's happening and uh, i really enjoyed it that's like i saw nick was talking about a sentient rifle <laughs> In one of his yeah, his yeah. notes, so um, yeah. I wanted to bring up a sword before he got a chance to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Uh, <laughs> so I guess I mean there there's a bunch of other stuff that we could talk about, but I guess the the other question here is like, what makes these types of characters work? Like I think when you talk about some that have the ability to speak and communicate directly with the main characters in the story, versus you know characters like. The Egret or characters like Lion Cat who don't necessarily have a direct line of communication. They are just characters in the story and they are mysterious because of their inability to speak. Like, what makes that work for us or did I just explain it? Um, well, I, I think what's interesting and none of us had this character and I just thought of this now while you mentioned that is Pizza Dog. And I think what's <laughs> yeah, really yeah. interesting with characters like that is it gives creators a different a really different opportunity to find new ways to communicate thought and to communicate thought processes mm-hmm. and and to really just get creative outside of just um and that's not to say that characters that aren't like oh it's a dog but it speaks english like uh sandor in um animosity animosity you know it's not to say that those characters aren't interesting either but it's it's always curious when you have something that has to use you know either nonverbal communication or or has a, a thought process that maybe operates via emojis or something like that and, and so you get this sort of different level of, of insight like like pizza dog for example um yeah still to this so, day one of the coolest well-designed issues of a comic i've ever read yeah um, exactly so you, you you get these opportunities to find new ways to um you know convey these ideas and thoughts to readers which i i think is fantastic mm-hmm. and that's it kate you have in your notes and i'm just going to steal some thunder here you mentioned the gods in the book god shaper by cy spurrier yeah um those like that book in particular had like a really interesting way of dealing with like 
like these these creatures that were gods but they kind of are like owned by humans in a weird way um or you know worshipped by humans in a weird way except for you know the character who is like the god that doesn't have a human that hangs out with our main character but they're not attached which i'm explaining this poorly but um like <laughs> the way that that character functioned just through imagery and stuff i think is another example of like being able to tell a story without actually having to put a lot of words into it um i think that kind of is similar to what nick was saying but i just want to make sure we brought that up because those are really cool characters i like the way that that they were interpreted for their basic skills and how this character the god shaper could add and remove skills for them um yeah it's really cool that book is was a lot of weird fun that i did and didn't like in for many different reasons yeah same i just liked how dynamic the the gods were and how they reflected the people that they were attached to or not attached to in the case of the main characters Mm -hmm. they physically changed and their physical changes kind of reflected what was happening with their humans totally so i read comic books because of the escape that they give me like in some cases they can be heavy to read kind of like reading like watching a historical drama so Mm -hmm. sometimes it just reframes things that have actually happened in real life like in in the case of mouse that we just read for the goodreads group um but i also read it for especially the the magical realism stories like eleanor and egret where it could be real life except that's mystical magical unusual um Mm -hmm. And so these non-human characters, like the ones we've been talking about today, are a part of that genre that I that I really like. They kind of take things that do exist in the, in the world, like birds and swords and armor, <laughs> and I guess dinosaurs. <laughs> and dinosaurs, yep, yep, nope, all still real things, yep. <laughs> and it, it has the human characters interact with them in a way that is completely unrealistic. Um, and that just really contributes to my enjoyment of those stories. Well, it's it's unrealistic in that they are able to communicate like that, but they're, it's portrayed in a way that is realistic to the characters. Like, they don't find it weird that, you know, a piece of armor is talking to them, at least yeah. after the initial, you know, holy shit, this armor's talking to me. Um. <laughs> Here's this dinosaur. There would be a yeah. dinosaur. That's fine. Yeah, there fine. would be a dinosaur. Um <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's. <laughs> yeah, I'm it doesn't form the, the world like the universe of a of a magical or fantasy story. Right, 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 right. Because you don't have to be informed about a lot of different things. You just need to know this is the one different thing in the world, um, which makes a lot of stories like that I think more relatable. That's a really interesting way to look at it, Kate. I like. I'm glad you brought that up. Nick has two really good examples, but he hasn't said them yet, and I'm really mad, and I'm going to steal them from him. What? Nick, you, what? What? You you. Put the xenomorph in one of your options as your favorite non-human character. <laughs> well, look, okay, because like here, here's the grand debate here, all right? Because like yeah. this, this is this is something I was I was dealing with in in terms of the um the morals and ethics of uh, of of this line in the sand that you drew and this criterion <laughs> for this yes this this flimsy criterion that you set up for this episode. Uh-huh. Um, I didn't know how comfortable you were with characters from pre-existing franchises. Oh, why not? I mean, I'm going to sure. say the Stay Puft character, Stay Puft Man from yeah. Ghostbusters. Yeah. Like that's a absolutely val- you know, a valid character. If it's in a comic book, it's legit, right? Okay. So Yeah. I mean, uh 
what 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 more is there to say you know the xenomorph is is great it's uh it's one of the most stunning i think visual designs that's ever been created for something and it's one of those things that uh, you you just need to show it to people and they instantly know exactly what you're talking about um this horrible <clears throat> monster from space that is definitely going to kill us thing yeah exactly that's been you know uh, exactly and I, I think what's so fun about a character like that is that so many different people have gotten to draw it over the years that you have this just massive variation on a theme from all these different creators take mm-hmm. you know having having their own take on it in in the same way that i i really love batman's design because you've had so many people over the years that have you know created their own version right um Man, I'm really excited for all you Patreon folks out there to read Nick's massive essay that he wrote about why he likes the Alien franchise because, man, oh, man, he goes way deeper than what he just said right now, and it's fantastic. I'm just going to plug that on the show because I'm so excited. I read, like, the final draft that he sent out, and it is Chef Kissy Fingers from beginning to end. I mean, I won't, I won't, I won't. Build it up any more than that. I, I'm I'm not going to be the hype man for my own piece, but I will sure. boast. I will put it up 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 out front that uh, uh, you better you know block out your afternoon and your day planner, um, <laughs> or just it's, multiple it's pretty, lunch times. Yeah, 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 it's good. I, I mean, anyways, I just wanted to make sure we we called out the xenomorph because like that is a great evil character. I was going to bring up the idea of the giants from I Kill Giants. Ooh, um, yeah. Okay, <laughs> because they exist in the background, but I I think in the end when you know, th- like when like as they show up and all the little like side giant monsters that are like out in that series, like they're they're so well designed, they emit like absolute terror because not only are they big, but they're drawn in like these really scratchy line ways that it's supposed to evoke some sort of fear out of you. And usually that's the kind of way like a child would draw a bad guy, or at least you would see that in like a movie or a TV show. Like this is the evil man. And he's got like pointy scratchy head, you know, stuff like that. I Um, I thought the giants but, looked a lot like kind of a decaying tree in the forest, like upright. Well, yeah, and I they definitely did that. In, they like it was drawn that way intentionally, right? To be like, oh, did I did I see a giant mm-hmm. or did I just see like a dying tree? I mean, later in the in the series, you know, in, we fully spoiled this book on the show before, so I'm sorry. We're we're gonna do it again. Um, you know, when she runs into the massive giant in the end and it, like, picks her up and is talking to her, like, just the way that that thing looks, it's like an absence of light kind of thing as it's speaking to her. I just, I don't know, I really like the way that that, that whole thing was portrayed, like, how giants were portrayed in that whole series. Um, yeah, so, it definitely like, spoke into the whole theme throughout the book of whether or not this is, like, her mental health or if this right. was real and she she's just the only one who happens to be able to see them. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I know that kind of like rides the line of <laughs> humanoid to a certain extent, but they are like these weird, mystical, mythical creatures. I think that that counts as like a non-human entity. I, I think another, it's its own bona fide subcategory, but another one that we could get into are basically the pet, the pets of superheroes, more or less. Like, oh yeah, it, it seems like in crypto? comic books, like after yeah, like crypto. You know, after we created the main characters like Superman, and then they're like, hey, what if we created a a, a female version that's just gonna. Um, we're gonna make really boring and and one dimensional and not fun. Okay, we've done that. Um, uh, and and now let's make a, a pet, basically. Yeah. Um, 
Well, so there's that's like how you crypto, got crypto and there's bat cow. There's yep. there's that's uh, that's all I know. Uh, Spider ham is that has count? that dog? Does he have a bat dog? Yeah, I can't remember its name. Someone write in. Let us know if there's a bat dog out there. There Just is. There is. Did so? Did any of the other like? Would it be weird if Hawkman had a pet? Like that's my question. Like, does he have a pet bird? Um, Doesn't Harvey it, Birdman have a pet hawk? I don't know. Is Har- <laughs> but Harvey Birdman is a cartoon. That's different. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, I don't know. I actually don't know a lot of like the DC pets. I know that there's. I know crypto. Everyone knows crypto. I think. But um, did Wonder Woman have a pet? I feel like if um, she. I don't know. I don't know about that. Well, see, but that, this kind of goes into something, Nick, you were saying before we started recording about how we could do just a whole episode just about the cats and dogs of comics. Because I, yeah. I listed, you know, Lion Cat, and I listed uh, the multi-eyed cat from, from Transmet. Um, there's there's the cat that's a red lantern, just the, the, the cat that becomes <laughs> a red lantern. Okay. Remember him? I, I don't read any of that, no. but I'll take your word for okay. it. Okay. Yeah. Because I know that if it's if it's fake, someone's gonna call us out on it. No, it's real. I, I wish I could remember its name, but there's a like just a, it's a normal like American tabby cat that uh, uh, becomes a red lantern. Um, <laughs> so that's a thing. Why um, not? There's also a planet that's uh, a green lantern. So I mean, if you want to talk about living, cre- you know, creatures, if we're still on this, uh, yeah. So there's there's Oa the the planet that's actually a Green Lantern. So there's that too. True. Um, that, that's totally a thing. That's totally a thing. I know about. I mean, I know enough about that to to be like, okay, I guess. But that feels like macro level because then we're because then we're getting into like a whole. Are the new gods considered human entities? Are you know these, the Eternals? These rules of yours are bullshit. Like I'm just gonna I know. come out and I, say I am. You know, the funny thing is, I didn't even come up with this topic. You assholes okay. came up with the topic. Okay. Okay. All right. I just had to put some ruling on it. I mean, because we didn't even bring up that the whole series, The Wild Hunt, right? Um, uh, or what's it called? Animosity, we didn't bring up. We didn't bring up that series that's like War of the Worlds, but not that I can't think of the name of. That was by Dan Abnett. Um, the second volume was called The Wild Hunt, and I am blanking on what it's called. Oh, um, oh, it's basically Wind in the Willows. Shit. Yeah. Oh we'll figure God. it out, and I'll put it in yeah. the show notes or something. But yeah, like we didn't bring up any of those, but again, it kind of falls into that they aren't human, but they are anthropomorphized, and so it kind of doesn't matter, um, or it doesn't really count in some ways. So This is where you wanted know. to put my, my beloved Ninja Turtles, right? Is this- yes. Yeah. I mean, Ninja Turtles don't necessarily fit into this discussion because, like, they're humans. Like, what if the... Did the turtles ever get pets? Did the Teenage Ninja Turtles ever have pets of yeah, their own? Yeah, pepperoni, the Triceratops. Oh, other than the Triceratops? Like, <laughs> thank you. It all ties back together. I appreciate that. Okay, I think we're going to wrap up here because otherwise I'm going to go crazy trying to find the fine line that I don't want you guys to cross, that I've crossed myself, and I don't yeah. want to admit it. We so, can continue um, this discussion on Twitter. China. Yeah, if you have if you have some problems with this episode, let me know, because I'll talk to you all day about animals. Um, <laughs> and speaking of Twitter, you can follow us all on Twitter. You can follow Kate at Kate Elfier. You can follow Nick at Death Star Plans. You can follow me at Mike Rappin. And you can follow the show at IRCB Podcast. 
where we retweet stuff we post polls every week make sure you go and vote and make honestly make sure you go and vote this week if you didn't vote this episode came out after you voted you should be real mad at yourself you can find us on goodreads where we post weekly threads this week's thread is about the book of the month abbott you can also find us at ircbpodcast.com where we have a pronunciation guide and merch Beyond that, we would encourage you to go head on over to iTunes, rate and subscribe to the show, or subscribe with whatever podcatcher you use. Uh, More ratings and higher ratings mean that we reach a higher point of prominence and other people can more easily uh, subscribe to and enjoy the show themselves. In addition, we would encourage you to email the show at ircb at destroythesibe.org. If you have any questions or concerns or just want to drop us a line and tell us how great the show is, go ahead and do that there. We would also encourage you to subscribe to our Patreon. That's at patreon.com forward slash IRCB podcast. We have exclusive audio. We have early access to episodes. We have full transcripts of show notes. And more importantly, and I said I wouldn't uh, toot my own horn, but coming up soon, we will have my huge aliens article. (laughs) I'm really excited for people to read that. Infinity Shred is the best band in the universe. They do all the music for the show, and we love what they do. They are a bunch of super cool dudes. Xander, he's that feeling you get after a good walk on a nice day. He also edits the show. I want to say thank you to Kate and Nick for being on the show this week. Thank you to listeners for reaching out to us on Twitter and sending us emails and stuff. We really appreciate it. Thank you to all the Patreon backers. You guys are really, really cool, and it's really fun engaging with you on Patreon. And until next time... Don't fall asleep while watching wrestling. You'll wake up exhausted from the adrenaline.